Welcome everyone to this fantastic celebration for the International Day for Persons with Disabilities. And I welcome all of our siblings at the bar and to all of our friends from outside of the bar, you're all so welcome to this discussion. We have four fantastic speakers for you for our panel discussion. And before we start, we want to say a huge thank you to Gwen Malone Stenography, who is providing a live transcription service. And um, a huge thank you for Gwen um, Malone Stenography for providing that service to us today. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce the four speakers. And our first speaker is going to be uh, Sylvia Maria Crowley, uh, BL, who um, is in her devilling year at the bar. Then there's going to be Ashley Glynn, solicitor, and Quiva Grogan, who's trainee solicitor, and Matt McCann, who's co-founder of Access Earth. I'm going to come to each of you in turn uh, so that you can get more of your background for people who are listening in. And uh, then we'll open up the panel discussion after that. So Sylvia Maria, I'm going to come to you first. You joined the bar this year and you're in your first year deviling. Uh, yes, Eva, thank you so much. It's great to um, be here and be part of this panel um, with my colleagues. Um, I am in my um, first year of deviling. I was called to the bar um, at the start of summer um, and I am based primarily in the CCJ um, up in the Criminal Courts of Justice. Um, so I'm doing my devilling year um, completely in criminal. I suppose um, in terms of disability, I have my, my disability is actually a visual impairment. Um, so that that that's kind of all about me. I suppose I'm from Cork. I better mention that I'm from Cork, but I'm based in Dublin now at the moment. Cork people are like Donegal people. We have to um, make sure everyone knows where we're from. Yeah, I understand that. Um, thank you, Sylvia Maria. And um, Ashleen, I'll, I'll come to you next. You're, you're a solicitor and you've been qualified the same length of time I've been at the bar, we've discovered. Uh, can you tell us about yourself, please? Thanks, Aoife. So first of all, thanks very much for asking me to speak here today. So I'll start by saying I'm speaking to you from Clare. Um, I qualified as a solicitor in 2010. I did my traineeship with McMahon and Williams in Kilrush County Clare and have been working there ever since. Uh, aside from that, I currently sit on the board of the National Disability Authority. And for those who aren't familiar, the NDA provide information and advice to the government on policy and practice relevant to the lives of people with disabilities. So just a bit more about my own background. I was diagnosed with a neuromuscular condition when I was in my late teens. So I suppose um, I have the perspective of living both uh, as a person with a disability and, and without. Um, so I began using a wheelchair during my time in the University of Limerick and kind of full time when I was doing my FE1s. And I suppose when you begin using a wheelchair, I always say that, you know, your life changes in many ways. But I think what I found changed most or what was most difficult was the way that people maybe people kind of start to look at you differently or maybe treat you a bit differently. So I think events like today are very important in terms of raising awareness about disability and promoting inclusion generally. Thanks a million, Ashley. Um, and we're obviously going to be discussing a lot more shortly. Um, we're coming to Quiva Grogan now, who is a trainee solicitor in ANL Goodbody. Um, Quiva, thanks a million for joining us. Tell us a bit about yourself. Thanks, Eva. Um, yeah, so I'm a trainee with ANL Goodbody. Um, I'm currently in my second seat, so I'm, I'm currently doing a rotation in the employment department. And I was in Blackpool. Last year, it was all online, unfortunately, all virtual. Um, but yeah, looking forward to talking about um, my experience today and to listen to the other panelists as well. Um, so I have a vision impairment that's genetic. So I've had it from birth. So I've always had the same experience of having um, a disability, I suppose, in contrast with um, Ashling, maybe. Um, and yeah, so I'm also the vice chair of the new um, legal network for legal professionals with disability in Ireland. So that's launching tomorrow. So I'm hoping to talk about that as well over the course of the event today. Fantastic. Thanks a million, Quiva. And uh, last but by no means least, and blessed is he among women, um, we have Matt McCann. <laughs> Thanks a million, Matt, for joining us. So, Matt, you are co-founder of Access Earth. Um, so tell us a bit about your, your background. 
Yeah, so uh, I, uh, my name's Matt. I've um, essentially, I've got cerebral palsy. So that means I use a walking frame to get around and I'm from Kildare, but really kind of growing up in and around Dublin and traveling all over the world, I found challenges in just getting into places, whether it could be somewhere as complex as a court or just simply into a coffee shop. So I set up Access Earth with that goal to build the largest database of accessibility information. And it's really all about just starting that conversation with businesses and um, different areas of life around accessibility and why it's important. Um, and yeah, just delighted to share some of my experiences. That's fantastic. And we're going to be asking you more about that and uh, how, what you thought of the accessibility of the courts um, later on. So thanks a million, um, Matt, for that. So um, I'm going to start maybe uh, and our panel discussion about, I suppose, challenges and um, what uh, challenges you have all come across uh, within, I suppose, in general and within your working life. Um, so um, if I can come to maybe Sylvia Maria first. Um, so Sylvia Maria, what challenges um, did you have maybe in accessing uh, the legal profession, um, you know, in terms of training and then in accessing um, the profession in, in general? Yeah, thanks Aoife. Um, well, I suppose the first thing is that I actually have what's, what's technically a, a hidden disability um, in the sense that people wouldn't know, um, like looking directly at me, that I would have um, a visual impairment. Um, my type of visual impairment is um, a central vision um, sight loss in my left eye. So it, in that sense, I haven't had mine um, since I was, uh, since from birth. Um, I only acquired mine through an accident um, only four years ago. So um, one of the challenges for me was definitely when pursuing my, my legal profession, my legal career was learning how to learn <laughs> in a new way. Um, and definitely one of the challenges um, with law, I found, is that it, it isn't necessarily um, visual impairment friendly in the sense that it, there is a, it's very text heavy. Um, it's a lot of reading. Sometimes it's a lot of old cases or large textbooks with very small writing, not all of which are available online and not all of which are accessible with um, assistive technology software. So I suppose um, from a challenge point of view, that that has definitely been um, a challenge in accessing the profession um, or even accessing the education to get to this point now. Um, and then in terms of actually working within the legal profession, um, everyday work. Um, it's only since COVID really that the courts and justice as a whole has become um, digital and online in nature. Um, the courts were very much forced by COVID to have to you know, implement a new remote hearing type system and virtual courts online. Um, so I feel like that was a benefit for me in the sense that I was coming in at a time where some things were virtual and briefs were now made available, not just in paper, but online where I could use them through assistive technology software. But I feel like if this hadn't, if COVID hadn't happened, I, I feel like that there would have been a more significant barrier for accessing the legal career. Um, so I do think in the legal profession and um, for people who have impairments or various types of disabilities, there definitely are um, barriers and challenges um, still there. We still have a lot, a, a long way to go. Um, but I think I think we're making good steps even here today. Thanks so much. And Ashley, I'm going to come to you next. I suppose what would the challenge what would um the challenges be in your experience, you know, even in everyday life, I suppose, um, you know, not necessarily only to do with your professional life, you know, your day-to-day -day living. What what do those challenges look like? Thanks, Aoife. So I suppose look, living with a disability, there are a lot of challenges okay, on an everyday basis. And I suppose that would um apply to work as much as anything else. So first of all, as I would describe it, I suppose from the minute you wake up in the morning, for me, I have a physical disability, so I'm very dependent on either certain aids and appliances, you know, for example, the wheelchair to, to go about my daily business. So I suppose it takes an awful lot of planning, um, you know, from just getting up in the morning and getting to the office. Um, 
Sylvia Maria talked about barriers. So as a wheelchair user, I suppose for me, physical barriers are the barriers that the environment presents are, you know, very kind of significant. Um, and a good example of that, I think, is when I finished college, uh, I did two weeks work experience with a local solicitor and I really enjoyed it. And that made me realise that this is what I was interested in doing. So I went on to do the FE1s and I was really very fortunate in that the, one of the local offices in Kirush, uh, who happens to be my current employer, they were looking for a trainee and I applied for the job. Now, six months prior to me applying for that job, the office was um, across the road in an older type office and I would have had one or two steps into the office and um, stairs, you know, no bathroom on the ground level. And I suppose for me, that would have excluded me from applying for the job. So I was really lucky in that uh, when I joined, they moved into a new office with a lift. So I suppose it's, it's the everyday things like that. Um, and that would apply to, and I know we'll speak about accessibility um, as we go, we go on a little bit later, but you know, they're the, they're the type of barriers um, that I suppose people with physical disabilities like Matt would be very familiar with that arise on a daily basis. And I suppose also that you're, you know, I find, and again, speaking for myself, very dependent on other people to do the things, um, you know, that I could once do for myself, you know, little things I think that people don't think about, such as, you know, opening a door to get from the office, um, you know, or if you're out in court and, and there's no automatic doors and things like that. So I suppose it's, it's the little things, but the little things are really important in allowing us to participate kind of on an equal footing with everyone else. Thanks, Amelia Nashin. And um, Quiva, I'll come to you. Um, what has your experience been in terms of your currently and your training um, at, at the minute? So I suppose you've got uh, both the, the training and your PPC um, aspect and in the office then. So what challenges have um, have you come across in, in that way? Um, yeah, so I guess it's a good question. Um, I was trying to think about it last night and I guess it's um, sometimes hard to think because you kind of like go about your day and you don't really think like, oh, what challenges am I facing today? Um, so it's kind of a tough um, question. But I guess what I thought was, um, I guess, um, so firstly, just to make the point that like, obviously everyone's experiences are completely different and someone else might have um, a different experience of being a solicitor to me or Ashley to being a barrister um but yeah so I guess I kind of chose um the route of be becoming a sister because I felt it might be um a career where I could excel and I thought that it might be more accessible than other careers um so specifically being a solicitor I know Sylvia mentioned all the books and briefs and papers so I would have seen that as a barrier to becoming a barrister so that would have in my mind prevented me from becoming a barrister but I felt look being a solicitor it's all um mostly done through technology and I felt that um in my mind it was something I knew I could put my mind to and um do well in and so just like prison background as well I actually this is my second career choice so when I first finished school I um, started another career. It was like kind of in a health profession. And unfortunately, I had like a really bad experience and they were very discriminatory. So after that, I was like, look, it was a real wake up call. And I was like, OK, I did really well in school. I always got really good marks. But now that's not enough to get me by, because in the real world, like people, one person can discriminate against you or tell you you can't do something. And like that could be the end of the road for you. So that was like a wake up call for me. And um, so then I went down to college in UCC where I knew their disability services were renowned and really acclaimed and I felt I'd get the best supports there. So even though I'm not from Cork, I like made the decision to go down there um, to, to study law. And yeah, they were really um, supportive. Like obviously there are uh, certain challenges. I think it's just hard sometimes just being different and maybe being like one of the only people with a disability or like with visual disability, like a sorry, visible disability in your class, like that can be tough when you're younger, I think, as well. Um, but yeah, I think the FE1s, um, they probably played to my strengths in that you're relying on your memory. And I think people with like visual impairments would have a really good memory because they can't see what's around them. So you have to do it by memory. So that kind of played to my strengths, and it's just writing for like three hours. So 
there weren't any um, kind of barriers for me in the FE1s, I wouldn't say. Um, more, I know there are barriers with the FE1s for everyone in terms of the class, but specifically like for my um, disability, I didn't, I didn't think it was necessarily worse. Matt, I'm going to come to you now. So I suppose, you know, seeing as, as um, your experience with Access Earth, what are the challenges that um, you have seen um, people with disabilities and maybe from your own experience um, coming up against, even in, in terms of things like transport and mm-hmm. heading around the city and things like that? Can you talk a bit about that? So growing up with cerebral palsy, I using a walking frame, you know, my challenges are similar in some ways to Ashling in that the physical barriers were the were the big thing to me. But there was also, I know for me in in college, you know, trying to, you know, essentially kind of make friends and wanting to go out somewhere. There was always this sort of challenge for me that they wanted to go out to some new restaurant or bar or whatever. And I'd always have to think, can I get in there? Is that up a flight of stairs? Is there a bathroom? There's all these questions, and it really kind of, kind of removed this sense of independence that was kind of a big, um, it was a big, obviously a big barrier, but it was also a big uh, motivator for me to sort of start the company in the first place. Because I'd found that you know speaking with local businesses, speaking with say um, Dublin Bus when their buses weren't accessible, a lot of the time they had to be just had it point out pointed out to them because it's it's not re- usually coming from an area of um, malice or lack of forethought. It's just they're not aware. And so I think what, one of the biggest examples of, um, I suppose, companies not being aware is when we first set up uh, Access Earth, we were honoured for a prize and what we're doing with accessibility. And the venue that they had booked was down a flight of stairs. And of course, on the night of the event, the lift was out of order. And the stage itself uh, was up three steps. So we actually had to be told in advance, um, if you were to win the award, how would you get up the steps? And I was like, well, I couldn't. So we'll have to just do the award on below the stage. And it was this just lack of forethought that people weren't thinking about, you know, this was this was about five years ago and you're still seeing this every single day. You know, people will book events and not check ahead of time. You know, it's just this small things that need to be pointed out to just check ahead of time whether a venue is accessible. Um, it's like think, what Ashin was saying about having to plan ahead, um, you know, for, for going somewhere. Yeah. Um, you know, there's just a level of preparation there that um, a lot of people just don't even have to think about. It's just automatic. Um, it reminds me of that story that uh, what happened recently at the um, the COP26 um, with the I think it was the Israeli minister um, yes. who, you know, didn't have any access to where the venue was um, that nobody thought about that in advance uh, for such a, a massive event. It was it was just um, unbelievable. I think your story is actually more shocking uh, to be honest. <laughs> In terms of transport then, I suppose around Dublin, we see we have the Lewis and we have the Dublin bus and and all the rest. But um, whilst we see ramps in places and all the rest, you know, Mm. it's not as straightforward as just having ramps. I'm I'm sure I I suppose there's more considerations to that than that. But definitely, I mean, even even taking ramps as an example on on the train, while the Lewis was sort of co-designed and that is essentially accessible, trains you still have to book ahead and that again it kind of removes your independence you don't get to decide oh no we'll take the next train no you have to pre-book and um buses while the majority are now accessible you know there is still some cases where drivers will pull in too far away from the curb so the ramp can't come out far enough and just things like that i mean like it's um or taxis there are very few percentages of wheelchair taxis actually available in in, in Dublin, where you look at the likes of London, most, if not all of their taxis can support wheelchair users. So it's just, it's, you, you need to at least show these smaller changes, at least in transport first, and then um, bring it out wider as well. Thanks so much. 
Well, I suppose they're the challenges, but what are now are the supports that you've all found that have helped you? And, and I suppose there's, there's, I suppose, a number of aspects to this, I'm sure, but I'll come to each of you and I'll start with Sylvia Maria. I suppose, what supports have assisted you, Sylvia Maria, in, you know, through university and getting from that point to, to now devilling at, at the bar? What, what has assisted you? Thanks, Eva. Like Eva, I was very lucky in that when I decided to pursue um, my law career with a visual impairment, UCC were absolutely amazing. Um, their disability support services um, uh, centre is next to none. I have my own advisor, Michelle, and she really um, was my main anchor in college in the sense that she helped provide me um, she helped to provide me with supports and um, different software and different aids to put me on a level playing field with my peers to allow me to actually um, learn and study to the best of my ability without feeling that my impairment was actually impairing me, for want of a better word. Um, so um, I feel like in terms of that, the, the disability support services were really um, key um, for me in, in being able to learn and, and to develop and, and to grow and um, to get to where I am now. And then I suppose, again, COVID played a big part when I'm, I studied in King's and um, their disability support services were, were great as well. But I did um, King's Inns entirely um, online. Um, I was one of the online years. But being honest, if I if it wasn't entirely online I don't think I would have been able to access it as well as I did um, when I when I studied in the inns um, everything was online which meant everything was in digital format which meant that I was able to get support from my own software and of course I've also been um, linked in with the NCBI and they've had to provide me and um, both the Cork branch and now the Dublin branch um, have really helped me and assisted me um, in whatever I needed, whether it be um, technology or orientation and mobility supports, or even just um, not so much emotional supports, but just knowing that like it is going to be okay, that there is an answer to the struggles that you are now facing. I think one of the biggest transitions for me was moving from Cork to Dublin to, to now come down to, to the bar and begin my career in Devlin. And, you know, that was definitely a hard um a hard decision to make because I suppose as Ashling said independence is something that's so key but when you rely on and so sometimes on other people or, or maybe um, friends or family to help you to navigate your way it, it can be a hard decision then to go completely independent and then you wonder am I actually going to be able to is there enough support in place or systems in place or is everywhere that I'm going to need to go as accessible um, as it can be um, for me to be able to, to partake um, in work with my peers and with my colleagues and um, the NCBI were amazing and the bar um, and the law library were, were really um, accommodating. They facilitated myself and my orientation and mobility um, a support person to come in um, before I actually came down and started my year in Devlin and to, to plan my routes and to safely navigate my workspace and, and adapt to where I'd be every day. And then um, I have to say my master, Gareth, he has been absolutely fantastic. You know, he was so supportive um, when I first disclosed to him about my um, visual impairment. And, you know, he was saying, don't worry, I have no worries at all that you'll be well able to keep up. But he actually went one step further. He was really great. He actually because he knew I had assistive technology and and different software because I would use magnifiers or CCTV and things. And I do have a screen and he he did write to the um, the law library and request that I would have um, a kind of seat at a desk, a sitting area for me that would be constant um, in order to facilitate that, which is very unusual um, and not really the norm for, for devils coming in. You kind of just squat at whatever desk is free. Um, but that's a lot, that would be a lot more difficult and challenging for me. And it just, it would have made the transition a lot more difficult. So, you know, he's he's been extremely supportive. And I think that's made the difference is that not only having outside organizations are people who are there who understand your needs and understand um you know what you need in order to be able to navigate your way through your daily life um 
but also having that people that you work with or that you work for are alongside also are, are willing to support you and are happy to put things in place and provide accommodations once they're made aware of it. And I think Matt said that very well earlier is that like, you know, it is about awareness. And um, sometimes they just weren't aware that something wasn't visually um, impairment friendly. And then once I've drawn their attention to the, the stress of it, they're like, okay, we, we, we can do something about that. So, um, yeah, so I suppose they were the main support um definitely every day is a learning day <laughs> every day is a learning day definitely <laughs> fantastic um and Ashley I'll come to you what supports have you found that have, have assisted you and in particular I do want to hear about Gina I yeah we, we definitely won't forget Gina but I think before I, I talk about Gina to pick up from something Sylvia Maria said like without a doubt when I look back you know um over the years since my diagnosis people have been the number one support And I suppose that kind of starts at home from having, you know, very supportive parents and family and friends who were willing to kind of, I suppose, support me through going to college and then going down to Blackhall in Cork. I think uh, unlike Sylvia and Quiva, I actually I did go to Blackhall in Cork. I would have at the time gone to look at Dublin and Cork. And I suppose really it's another reality of disability. Lots of your decisions really are kind of made with accessibility in mind and and really that's what dictated where I'd go so I went down to Cork and had a fantastic time now it took an awful lot of planning um again but I suppose that really proves the point that I'm trying to make in that I went down to Cork without knowing anyone you know and the reality is like to go back to what I said earlier you know you are very much reliant on people to open a door or to you know make you a cup of coffee but I suppose it's about kind of realizing that yourself and not being afraid to ask and to tell people how they can support you and that can actually happen in a very natural way and I suppose that's you know my experience of of everyday life and particularly in the office you know I go in in the morning and this is where Gina comes into it so Gina is my assistance dog who uh, I actually it's a long story and we don't have time today but I got her through I do some disability discrimination work so I had a case where I was acting for a young boy with cerebral palsy who was excluded from school and um, so we took that case to the WRC and fortunately after five years we were successful but as a result of that I got to know the organization very well and then Gina came into my life so she is a black labradoodle who's asleep on the floor beside me and she comes into the office with me every morning she opens the main door of the office which that in itself, you know, prior to me having her, I would tend to ring somebody, you know, ring one of my colleagues upstairs and say, upstairs and say, I'm downstairs, will you come down? And they'd do it with, you know, not a second thought, but it's great. And then to have Gina to be able to allow me to be a bit more independent, she hits the elevator with her lift, you know, uh, sorry, with her nose. And um, if I drop my phone, she'll pick it up, you know, so that kind of thing. So she's been a fantastic uh, support. So I suppose it's about, you know, recognising, I think that although all of us here today have disabilities, we've all very different needs and experiences. So from, you know, other people to my dog to, you know, the aids and appliances that we I rely on every day and um, technology at work, you know, drag and dictation, talk to type. Um, and again, a very basic thing, but having a, a, an accessible environment. Um, so thanks a million, Ashley. And I think, uh, it'll be the battle of the dogs now because Quiva also has an assistant a dog and a, a beautiful dog called Eldrin I believe is it? Uh, yeah it's Eldon. Eldon so it's, yeah everyone thinks it's like Elvis or something but it's Eldon he's beside me as well for moral support today um, but yeah he's great so I got him two years ago so it was actually the anniversary yesterday of when I got him two years ago um, but he's great he comes with me to work and um He's very entertaining in the office and like definitely boosts my popularity, I think, a bit. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just echo what Ashling and Sylvia have said already about having people there that like just someone to talk to. Like, it, like so I guess in talking about working from home, you'll probably come to this. I'm probably jumping ahead, but like, yeah, I think that's one downfall um, for me. I found working from home with COVID was like this kind of small bit of isolation. And when you do kind of rely on people um, so much uh, around you. Um, and yeah, so I'll just explain how I work. So I use um, assistive technology. So there's a screen reader I use called JAWS. So that uh, stands for Job Access with Speech. Um, 
So what it does is it converts all uh, what's on the screen into a text format. So into speech, sorry, into speech format. So I use, um, so I don't use the mouse, but I use all keyboard shortcuts. So I use like the Outlook shortcuts and everything and the shortcuts in Word that everyone else would know. But I also, there's a suite of shortcuts that are just um, work with JAWS. So I use all of these shortcuts. And so the, at, that, that technology works really well and it does enable me to come to work and to do the job. And um, so it works, it works very well. So, so the screen reader, um, it, it reads maybe like 640 words per minute. So it's very, very fast. So um, people wouldn't necessarily be able to understand it. They like don't understand how I might be able to understand what, what the screen reader is saying. Um, and it's very detailed. So I have it set so it can read out the to, to describe the font, any changes in font. Um, so I don't miss out on anything because the legal documents are obviously really um like technical and you don't want to miss out on anything. So I can and I can move, I, I can decrease and increase the speed um when I need to. Um so yeah, that works really well. There's so but back to the point about having supports, because there's always going to be things that don't work with the technology. Um, so it's really important to work with people who are um who are like able to help you. And obviously, as as well, um coming from a bigger firm, I obviously like in a very lucky and um, privileged position, and they do have a lot of resources. So I have a lot of supports like anything I need I can ask for really so I'm really uh really lucky obviously um and so for example the some of the applications that we use here in NL don't work so well with JAWS and um, so um I'm working with an external company they're called Lazy and um, so they're in the UK and they create additional scripts for JAWS to interact with legal system so they're used to working with law firms in the UK and people with visual impairments in the UK because there's a lot more of them over there so so I've been I just found out about this lazy company recently so I'm hoping to work with them to make the system more user friendly because I guess even if it's accessible like I can use the file management system but it, it's not as user friendly as it would be for a sighted person and obviously like I need to be able to do my job as well as everyone else and so I think Daisy like really understand that and luckily like the firm are really supportive in these additional things that like I come across that I think might really help me and um, yes yeah, so that's fantastic yeah, I can't remember if it was there another part to your question. <laughs> no, not yet, but I, I'm going to come back to the to the um question of accessibility. And um I suppose I'll, I'll, I might come back come to Sylvia Maria first. Uh, so I suppose you, you told us a bit there about um how the accessibility of the CCJ and um I suppose what helped you in that regard, you know, the the kind of um, learning the roots beforehand between, um, you know, from your desk and the law library and so on. Um, I suppose, is there anything in the CCJ in terms of accessibility that, um, you know, that you've noticed that might not be obvious to, to people who don't have a disability? I suppose um, one of the key things definitely is that everything in the CCJ is quite darkly lit and <laughs> um, they're not one for the bright lighting um, and I think even though it's a, it's a much more modern building um, the the doors are ridiculously heavy and there's they're very dark paneling and they're, there's two sets of doors going into every courtroom and for people who may have a, a physical disability they're not they're not accessible at all because you'd be very dependent on someone else to come along and open a door and open a door for you and hold it open because it's not just enough to open it but they're very heavy they do swing I suppose that's definitely something that I've noticed that wouldn't be as accessible that people other people might not notice um I suppose the other thing as well is the layout of the the law library itself um I was only saying this the other day that I, I it really baffled me that the uh the genius of the architecture was to put two big white pillars in the middle of the walking floor space. Um, like to everyone else, it just seems so simple. Oh, I'll just go around it. Um, but then in the same walkway, they also have the two printers 
where everyone stands to print everything and then the oceans of boxes of um, papers um, and briefs and documents so I suppose that was definitely one of the the most inaccessible things when I first started was was navigating those white pillars and that narrow space um, which to everyone else, I think they probably were like, why is this person constantly bumping in to this white pillar, which blends with everything? <laughs> but um, for me, that was one of my definite like challenges and something that I thought was was quite um, hilarious. I had a bit of a giggle about it to myself. Well, I think many as a person has uh, walked into those pillars um, <laughs> over the years, I think, in the... Yeah. They know I'm, I'm not alone. <laughs> 12 years at the CCJ is open. Yeah, absolutely. And um, there's there's certainly a, a couple of questions over the CCJ building in general. Um, you know, for example, no toilets on the fourth floor. I don't know who thought that was a good idea. Yeah. But, um, anyway, I'll I'll come to Ashleen. Um, I suppose Ashleen, you have a, a unique experience of being on circuit as well and seeing circuit courts that might not be as um, even as modern as as uh, perhaps the CCJ, which has its own problems um, I suppose what um, accessibility issues have you come across in, in those areas? So I suppose I mainly do litigation but also a lot of probate and will drafting that kind of thing so I do spend a lot of time in the office and I suppose just by way of I contrast when I'm in the office and I suppose to make the point that if I'm in an environment that's very accessible and that's suitable for me I can be very independent um, and that really is when you're somebody, I suppose, who's very dependent on other people for the kind of the little things every day. Um, I actually find that very satisfying and it's very important for me to be able to kind of function on an equal footing with everyone else. So I suppose that's first of all to kind of state how important accessibility is. So I suppose for me um, on the days out, which I very much enjoy as well. And to go back to what we said earlier, definitely, I think, you know, disability for me adds a whole other level of planning. And often, unfortunately, that kind of means another level of stress. And I suppose, yeah, most generally, I'd be in Ennis or Limerick. Now, at this stage, I'm very familiar with those places and those courtrooms. So, you know, Limerick is very good in the sense that it's all in a, the one level. Mm-hmm. Um, Ennis, not so much, you know, it has the, the courtrooms have a lot of steps. So there's really only kind of one place that I can I can sit. Um, which isn't ideal, you know, when you're trying to talk to a counsel or your client, you know, they kind of have to come to you. So, uh, you know, again, other issues like, you know, I've been there sometimes and the lifts haven't been working. Um, so again, you know, when you're busy and you're kind of trying to focus on your case, um, that can be very um, distracting and, and difficult. Um, and I suppose maybe a lot of people watching are probably more familiar with the forecourts. So I would definitely be in the forecourts a couple of times a year at least. Um, and I suppose to go back to what we spoke about earlier, you know, it's about every, it's not just about being in the court environment, it's about, you know, getting up in the morning and, and getting there. So for me, it would mean, you know, I don't drive, so somebody would I'd get a lift to Limerick and then you have to plan the train a day in advance and you have to ring for somebody p- to be there with the ramp and that has to happen at every change. So, you know, it takes a lot of time and effort just to get to, to Dublin like that. Uh, and in the forecourts, what's very positive is that there is a, an automatic door with a ramp to get into the building. But once you get into the building, you're faced with a series of very heavy doors. So I suppose the reality is, you know, there's no way I'd be able to be there on my own. Um, and again, as things turn out, generally, there would be somebody with me anyway, because, you know, files and all the rest of it. But I suppose, you know, it would make a big difference to me. And I think Matt will talk a bit about this, having done his tour um, and to lots of other people just to, to address those types of issues. Mm-hmm. So. And um, I'll come to Quiva. Um, in terms of accessibility, Quiva, and I, I know that you mentioned the the working from home as being, you know, bittersweet. I suppose because you know, on the one side, it's it's obviously um, you know convenient working from home and all the rest. If you have the technology aspect, but on the other hand, you have the isolation of if um, as as unfortunately a lot of people had over the last couple of years of working at home for an extended period um, but when when you are kind of going into the office and in the office um, what issues of accessibility have you come across? Um, I guess for me um, because um, I wouldn't face the same issues as Ashling with the physical barriers but for me it probably does centre around the technology piece Mm-hmm. Um, because I guess even in a more corporate firm, it's um less 
client facing I guess when you're at a junior level and you're mostly like at your desk doing work so for me it's all around the technology and um, and for me like I've had a big learning curve since I started my traineeship just trying to harness the technology so that I'm using it to the best of um, its ability and making sure I have the best technology um, that's out there because nobody tells you oh this is how lawyers use JAWS like that's not a thing because you learn JAWS when you're like in third class and it's just to like read a story or something and you like I actually had a call with um, a, a lawyer she's in Clifford Chance in the UK and um, her name is Fedia Hussein and she has a podcast if anyone wants to listen to it she's really interesting and she um, she really like told me um about the what you can do with JAWS and um, she told me about Blazy, the company I was talking about before as well. So um, yeah, so for me, it does center on the technology and yeah, again, to like reiterate that I am very lucky to be in a big firm that has the resources I have. I haven't always had that experience. So I do know like the other side of it. And I think it's been in some ways like a downhill battle for me in that it was very hard in school like kind of hard in college and now I just feel like I have a lot of support and a lot of resources I'm not just saying that because some of my colleagues might be on the call uh, it's genuinely the truth and um, I feel very lucky and like like things are always going to be hard like it'll, it'll always be a bit harder when you have a disability because it's a tough career anyway and if you have additional challenges it might be a bit tougher but I think um if you like people around you that are supportive and um, I think um, you'll get through it. I'm definitely sensing that people are, are a huge aspect in terms of support. Um, so that's fantastic. And before I, I come to Matt, um, I'll just say to all of the attendees, we hopefully will have a few minutes for questions and answer or, or question and answer kind of session before we finish up. So if anyone does have any questions, just put them in the, the chat. Um, which is at the bottom of the screen and uh, we'll hopefully be able to uh, get through a, a few of them. So uh, Matt, I'm going to come to you because in terms of accessibility, obviously this is um, your wheelhouse in terms of Access Earth. And um, you came in and you met with um, Alison Walker and I should have started uh, this um, webinar by saying um, a huge thanks to Alison Walker who uh, organized this whole event practically single-handedly and along with Lindsay. Uh, so I really um, appreciate her help. But you met with Alison and you came in and um, you walked around, I think the four courts, was it? And the Law Library buildings. Yeah, again, thanks so much to Alison for setting this up because I think the last time I was in the four courts was I was doing work experience in a solicitor's office back in transition year. So it has been about 16 years or thereabouts. And in some ways it had changed a little bit and in a lot of ways it hadn't. Um, but it wasn't just so, with the four courts, I'd like to echo a lot of what Ashling said in terms of the challenges of while there is a wheelchair accessible entrance, you're then sort of left to go through these ridiculously heavy doors. One of them's pull, one of them's push. So even if you could, you, it's just, it didn't make any sense. Um, simple things like the wheelchair accessible bathroom, I couldn't work out how to block the door. And if I couldn't do that, I don't know how anybody else could. So, and also like, you know, it's just how, in terms of for everybody else, I mean, the kind of the point we try to get across with Access Earth is that, making a place accessible isn't just for people with disabilities, it's for everyone coming in. And my immediate impression was it's an absolute maze and you don't get any sort of sense of bearing when you go in, when you go in there, particularly as you may not go through the main entrance. So you may not have a complete sense of where everything is. Um, say the lifts can be quite small. Not a lot of the courts are actually accessible either. Say the, the high court, the Supreme Court itself, there are steps up there. Um, and even in the other um, ancillary buildings, there are a few just small things that could change to make things a lot easier. Like there was a bathroom that didn't have the wheelchair symbol on it. It just looked like a storage closet. So you, the lock worked, but you didn't know it was a bathroom. <laughs> so just strange things like having a, a, a bin in the middle of a corridor for shredding paper. So it's obviously there a lot of the time but there's this lack of forethought and planning on just 
putting it somewhere else that's accessible for everybody, not just because it's easy for one or two people. Um, and yeah, really, it's it's about getting the idea across that any changes that we're making, it's not just for a, you know, a 13% of the population in Ireland that has a disability. It benefits everyone. And I think it's it's that's what we're trying to get across here is that like, you know, the courts, above all things, really should be accessible to everyone. Um, and while there were, you know, improvements over the last since what's 16 years since I was last there, there's definitely a long way still to go. Um, but it was it was great to see how things are now. And uh, in terms of the law library? Um, yeah, it's like like Sylvia said, those pillars are like it's just you can't get past them. Um, and some of the other libraries as well, like in, in the forecourts itself, like it just ups, there's just stairs there. There's no internal lifts like, you know, simple, like you wouldn't be able to, you know, if you needed to use the cloakroom, for example, that they're down flights of stairs. There's like coffee places that are also down flights of stairs. So you really you don't get the full experience. Like, never mind as a member of the public coming in, but like if you're if you're based in the forecourts every day, like there's just still so many barriers. Um, and uh, I suppose it's a really good point that, that in terms of that we should be looking at accessibility for everyone, not just for um, persons with disabilities. Yeah. Court as, as a person accessing law, it's stressful enough without having to figure out and stress about where the courtroom is, <laughs> for example, in, in, and trying to find it in the four courts. Exactly. And even in the CCJ, you know, it's a brand, it's a relatively new build. And, um, you know, there's there's still problems there. And that was built from the ground up. Yeah. You think to be accessible. I think the problem comes a lot from that engineers and architects don't have direct experience with accessibility. And sometimes, particularly say with engineers that I'd have worked with in the local authority, there's a level of like there's no sort of co-design or co-input from everywhere within the community. And so I think if if that happened, you know, there'd be a lot more experiences. So a lot more kind of experiences being brought into the plans. Like a lot of the events we'd have done, the feedback we always get from engineers and architects is, oh, I never thought about that. Because if, you, if you're not living the experiences, it, it is very difficult to think in a, in, a, in a wider context. Like even things like going into the CCJ, there was the metal detectors that you had to go into. And I just get flashbacks to what it's like in an airport trying to explain the walking frame and how it can fold up and how to put it through. And it's just, it's it adds on a layer of stress to, to things where you don't, there really shouldn't be. Okay, definitely um, room for improvement is what I'm getting. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so we're, we're certainly coming close to, we've got another 10 minutes. So again, we, we do have one question that I'm going to come to shortly. Um, but before we finish up the kind of general panel discussion, I was wanting to talk to you just about, um, you've each touched on it, um, the issue of technology and, you know, how that assists. And uh, Sylvia Marie, I'll come to you first, I suppose. Um, and, and you did say that, I suppose, without the, the online aspect or the remote aspect of King's Inns, um, you would have found it much more difficult. Um, and I suppose in addition to the remote courts and um the the technology that you discussed i suppose what other technology or i suppose more importantly how did you become aware of the technology that would help you yeah that's a great question Aoife, and i think that's something that I, I really do want to to try and impress on anybody who is considering even you know how would i even go about accessing the, these things um you know, in college or university. And I think it's so important to, to ask for help and reach out to organizations or, or research or reach out to people um, and, and see, you know, what's available for your type of um, disability or your type of impairment. Um, like the NCBI has been absolutely amazing. And every for every step of my journey, whether it had been in college or whether it have been in King's Inns or now transitioning into my year of devilling, they've, you know, carried out my, their needs assessments based on what I perceive as my needs now in this part of my, of my journey. And my needs in King's Inns and in college and now devilling, they've all been different. So 
I use Zoom text a lot now, which is um, different to JAWS, but it's also a software. It does magnification because I do obviously have vision in one eye, so I can I can still read things myself. Um, but it does it does put a lot of pressure on it. So Zoom text is great because it can magnify things into a much larger print, um, which enables me to be able to read it myself. But it also has a screen reader, which means it will read it to me um, instead if I find that reading so many things is taxing. But I would have never known about that technology having not um, grown up or, or had my visual impairment for a long period of time. My visual impairment was only new. And I only found out about that, that kind of technology and that kind of software from um, reaching out to organizations and saying, look, I'm not sure even if I'm the right person to be coming here, but this is my issue. And I'm just wondering, can you help me? And I think that's where having a discussion about different impairments and raising awareness about all the different types of disabilities and different types of accessibility needs. It's so important that, you know, not one, not one brush is going to fix everything. Not one, what not one access program is going to fix everything and make it accessible for everyone, but it's finding out what you need and what best works for you. And then trying to find um, who can help you with that or what organization can help you with that. So I definitely think, um, you know, reaching out, talking to people and, and trying to raise awareness about it and everyone becoming more aware of what, of what accessibility needs, needs to be um, is, is a big part of the conversation, a big part of the discourse. Mm -hmm. so. And Ashleen, um, I think you've touched on kind of the, the importance of remote court and, and the difference that has made um, over the last uh, couple of years. I suppose this, some positives have certainly come out of COVID. Um, and I suppose, can, can you um, tell us, I suppose, the difference that that has made um, to your practice? Yeah, definitely, Aoife. And I think even an event today kind of highlights the point in that if this was on, it would be in Dublin and there were probably, you know, I'm a probably a four hour drive to Dublin and again you know there'd be a lot of organizing and planning that would go into that and I suppose the other difficulty is that that eats into a lot of you know work time so it's not always possible to attend these types of events because again you know being reliant on other people um remote working yeah has been really interesting for me and I think as we mentioned the other day just level the playing field in a sense by way of example, recently I had um, county registrar's court in the morning, we'd say 10 until 12. And then that afternoon I had a, an NDA meeting in Dublin. And I suppose, you know, without technology and remote access, you know, that would have been impossible for me. So it was, you know, it was great to be able to attend both from my house. So, yeah, remote working has, has really been important because it's eliminated a lot of that planning and a lot of those barriers that exist. However, I would be a bit concerned maybe that it would detract from, you know, I suppose, ensuring that all our environments are accessible and inclusive for other people. So I think it's about just having it as an option and giving people choice. And another point just to make on technology, I think, you know, Quiva and Sylvia Maria might use a lot more, we would say disability specific type technology, but technology in general has advanced a lot, I've found over the last few years. So at the moment, my iPhone, I can use that as my dictaphone, you know, emails are on it. And make all the phone calls. I'm hooked up to the office phone on that. You know, Alexa's turn on the TV, all that sort of stuff. So things have advanced generally in that sense, and that's been a big help. Yeah, and actually, Alexa, I hadn't even thought of that. Um, we all like to put the radio on by Alexa. Um, that's brilliant. And Quiva, um, you mentioned that you're um, part of uh, on the committee for the Disability Legal Network. I suppose technology is part of, of um, the pledge that is going to be launched tomorrow, I think. Is that right? Yeah, so we're launching the network tomorrow. Um, it's really exciting because um, so Jane Barrett is our chairperson. And so she's done amazing work in really driving this since the summer. And um, we really wanted to get it launched for tomorrow for the day of, for, of international disabilities. I said that wrong, but um, yeah. Uh, so, um, so there's an equivalent kind of organization in the UK and they've been up and running for years and years. And I think this is really gonna be a game changer because um, it like if someone Googles like disability solicitor Ireland, this will come up and then even a parent 
or um, a young person will see, oh, this is a possibility, like I can do this and they'll know who to contact. Mm-hmm. Rather, in my position, I would have never known who to contact. I might have met people um, randomly, um, had phone calls with people, but it was all really informal and um, there is no one body of information or no one place you could go to talk to within the profession. So you might go years thinking that you're the only person and that can be really isolating. And I think it's important for, um, so I'm obviously like really junior, so it'll be great for me to um, network with people who are more senior in their careers. Um, and then, yeah, hopefully we can help people who haven't even um gotten into the career yet and um yeah put it um put it to the fore that like um law is a viable career for um people with disabilities yeah and I, I think that's a, a great time to um, ask one of the questions that came in. So uh, the question is from Duncan and um, he asks, what do the panelists see as one of the more significant impediments, if any, to a successful career in their chosen field? Um, I suppose I might go, keep the order that I was going in and I will come back to Matt in terms of technology. I won't forget you, Matt. But Sylvia Maria, um, I, I suppose, you have um, talked about kind of the, the obstacles that um, you've come across, you know, apart from what you've already t- told us, is there kind of a particular impediment or obstacle that um, that you see in terms of, um, I know you're at the start of your career now, but um, is, is there is there um, a particular impediment that you envisage and just say you're on mute yet? Um, I, I, do you know, I'm, I would like to be hopeful and say that things are obviously going to progress and change and, you know, that places will become more accessible and the courts will become more accessible. Um, but I suppose there's always that possibility that things will go back to non-remotely if we ever go back to a, a normal way of living. And I suppose if, if, as Ashing said, there isn't that choice to have either virtual and physical there, it will be a significant barrier for people who do have um, disabilities or impairments um, like myself, because without things being available in a digital platform or virtual platform, I don't think I would be able to to be on the same level playing field as my peers and I would be significantly um, prevented from competing at that same level and being able to, to maximize my abilities in my everyday career. Um, even though I'm only starting out but you know if I wasn't able if I wasn't given the options to have my briefs and documents virtually and online and had to deal with them all on paper then I'm going to not be able to compete at the same level so I suppose it's I think one of those the, the major impediments would be that option that there is if there isn't an option and it's only going to be one way a one-way type of system that isn't accessible to everyone then I think that would be definitely something and um, Ashina, I may come to you with another question that has come in, and that is, can the speakers comment on the importance of having a diverse workforce? And and this is, this is certainly something I wanted to raise before we finished. I suppose we we hear about the importance of diversification, and, and can you um, start the conversation as to why that is um, so important? Okay, well, Eva, simply enough, I think for me, I actually I think that they legal professions should be representative of the clients that we act for in the communities in which we live. And I think it's that simple. Um, I don't think there should be, when it comes to disability, I don't think there should be a, a then and an us. I think, you know, as hopefully people will have seen today, you know, yes, I have a disability, that's part of me, but, you know, no more than I am a solicitor, that's another part of me. It doesn't, you know, define me. Um, and I think we need to, you know, the more visibility is very important and the more people with disabilities we see in the workplace, as Quiva says, it will hopefully encourage other people. And just to slightly go back to the other question, because I think it's important to say it in terms of the, you know, whether it's possible to have a successful career, you know, I think it absolutely is. That's not to say that it's not without its challenges, but, you know, I certainly very much enjoy my my career and with all that planning, you know, um, it can be difficult at times, but it's it's certainly very possible. Um, but one thing just in terms of impediments that I'd want to touch on is, uh, you know, 
they, those negative maybe misconceptions and negative attitudes towards people with disabilities. So sometimes people might look at me and look at the wheelchair and they'll say things like, oh, weren't they very good to give you a job with the wheelchair and share, you know, you'll never be able to do this and you'll never be able to do that. Um, and I think even if people who are attending today just thought of that, you know, I've been in court in Dublin where maybe people don't know me as well as they would down here and they'll automatically assume I'm the plaintiff or, you know, I'm the client, you know, things like that. So I think it's just, to, and that's why I suppose diversity is important and um, that people aren't going to look at, you know, people like me and say, oh my God, um, it's so unusual that that'll just become part of everyday life, you know. And I suppose you've each touched on uh, on something as well um, at various different points. But I mean, because of the amount of planning and um, preparation you have to put into everything, I suppose problem solving that comes with that is an excellent skill to have, especially as a lawyer. Um, so I suppose that's uh, um, one of the reasons why diversity uh, should be embraced because of the skill set that you have had to develop. Um, and Kiva, I might come to you. Um, I suppose would would you agree with that uh, in terms of the specific skill set that people with um, disabilities have had to develop? Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Um, even just like resilience, um, life experience um, at a young age. I know everyone has their own life experience, but um, that definitely racks up when you have a disability. Um, yeah, problem solving and um, just self-belief. I often find people with disabilities have like really strong self-belief that you wouldn't necessarily find in uh, among the general population. Um, yeah, so they're all they're all what um, employers are looking for in um, trainees and in legal professionals, like um, someone that can think on their feet, someone that's resilient, a team player, like you have to be. Uh, really good at working with people when you have a disability like you have to ask for help all the time um and yeah I guess that just links in with um the point on like unemployment I think it's probably like the biggest issue facing people with disabilities in Ireland like the thing is like 70% unemployment among people with disabilities for people with visual impairments that's like 90% so that's clearly like ring back to Ashley's point about um perceptions like there's clearly an issue there um so hopefully with like the disability legal network and events like this we can try and change that and shape more of an inclusive future and like improve those statistics um with regard to employment yeah Absolutely. And um, certainly we've had a comment come in um, as well to say uh, that's from Gary Lee. And that's to say that the, the, the he gives us thanks to each of the speakers and uh, the lack of disability awareness training for court service staff and judiciary is an issue. Uh, and we need to identify and remove barriers that prevent people from engaging with and accessing the law. And I think, Matt, that certainly ties in with, um, you know, certainly your um, recent visit to the four courts and and, um, you know, even from from that aspect, um, I think that is in agreement with what you were saying earlier. Completely, completely. I just want to echo exactly what Sylvia, Quiva and Ashling have said, that, you know, people with disabilities have so many more things to, to, to offer through their own life experiences. You know, it's that critical thinking, it's that resilience, it's that problem solving. And it's really only until those problems are pointed out that people will know how to solve them. And yeah, I think it's, it's it's crucially important that, you know, conversations like these begin. And it's really, I think, important important point to make is it shouldn't happen just because tomorrow is International Day of People with Disabilities. You know, this should be an every day of the year occurrence. And I think COVID has given us this massive opportunity to take the positives out of essentially getting to reset and rethinking how we rebuild society. You know, simple things like social distancing in shops has automatically made things better for um, a whole range of people with disabilities. You know, collection services have given more people options who may be neurodivergent or, or socially anxious. Like, there's so many things that rather than just having to look to when I keep hearing the phrase, oh, when do we get to go back to normal? It's like, no, I think we've got this massive opportunity to take the best parts about this and bring in people who in use, use technology and the power of how that's become so ubiquitous and how I think people should start to th stop thinking of it as accessibility features and 
they should start thinking about like productivity. Like, look at the transcript that people are going to have now. Like, imagine how useful that is in meetings to have an absolute, just not just an audio recording, but a text recording as well as, you know, and your iPhone getting to do so many things for you that are not just about accessibility. And I think that's my big takeaway point from this is to just push. It's about accessibility, not about disability. It's for everyone. And uh, yeah. Yeah, can I just say one thing? Uh, so I think this is really interesting, but I think um, text messaging was actually invented by a deaf person because uh, she wanted to communicate with someone else. So that's where text came from. And like that's something everyone uses constantly. So yeah, accessibility drives innovation um, 100%. Absolutely. Where would we be without text messages? Um, it's the primary form of communication, um, I think. And, and just really supportive um, messages coming in. I, I, I don't know. I don't think everyone can see it. Just um, a thanks to all the speakers. That is very informative. Um, and again, from Rebecca there, that it's a really informative discussion. And thanks so much to Alice and Aoife and all the panelists. So um, Thank you for those comments coming in. Oh, sorry, Sylvia Marie, I just saw your hand up there. I just wanted to say that I think it's really important that I, I just want to say as well, thank you to, to all the panelists. Like I've learned so much myself and, you know, the number of participants that have been here, I just think it's really encouraging that, you know, people aren't um, closed, like they're not closing the doors to, to accessibility and productivity and that, you know, there's nothing that we can't do. Barriers may be called barriers, but for us, they're not really barriers. It's just a, a new fun little challenge for people to overcome so you know I think it's really encouraging to see so many people tuning in to to discuss and engage in this conversation so it's wonderful. no and it's, it's fantastic to open the conversation and that's all this event is it's not a one-off it's a it's a starting the conversation and indeed we have another event in uh, about 10 days time uh, or 11 days time uh, uh, which is more focused on um you know clients that might be neurodiverse and so on um so uh, you know it's it's developing i suppose the conversation that we're we're just starting today um in advance of uh, tomorrow's international day for persons with disabilities so um thank you so much uh, to Sylvia Maria to Ashleen to Quiva and to Matt uh, for coming on to our panel discussion today and uh, it was absolutely fantastic and um, again, a massive thank you to Mary from Gwen Stallone, um, Gwen Malone, stenographers, sorry, um, for uh, providing their services for free for our event today. Uh, we really appreciate that. And it's been a, just a huge support and service to, to be able to offer um, with, with our event today. And uh, as always, thank you to Lindsay and Stephen for, um, for uh, setting up the event. And a massive thank you to Alison Walker, who um, did all of the preparation. Um, for, for me, all I had to do was uh, basically sign on uh, today and it was fantastic um, to have her help and um, for her idea in, in having an event like this. So a huge thank you to Alison. And thank you to our uh, participants who came along and stayed with us uh, to this time of the evening. So uh, we really appreciate it and hope to see you all again soon.